listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Having now moved through Eastertide and the Feast of Pentecost, just as we launch into this long season called Ordinary Time, we have this day, Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday lands pretty much in the middle of the liturgical calendar, midway through the first Sunday of Advent in late November, and then the last Sunday before Advent begins again. It's something of a hinge in the calendar, a significant pause before we move into the day-to-day, the week-to-week of the long season of ordinary time. Yet, Trinity Sunday doesn't mark a chapter in the life of Jesus, nor does it celebrate some event in his life or in the life of the young church. No, instead, Trinity Sunday calls us to contemplate a doctrine, a way of approaching the mystery of God. I like how Bishop N.T. Wright sums it up. He says, Trinity Sunday celebrates not a new truth, something else beyond Pentecost, but rather what you see when the excitement and drama of Pentecost has made its mark and you pause to reflect on it. Or, if you prefer, Trinity Sunday is where you find yourself when, having been swept off your feet by the mighty rushing wind, you get up dust yourself down, and survey your new surroundings. And here is where we are. Here are the new surroundings on the other side of Pentecost. As a people, we're heirs to the radical monotheism, the radical declaration of Judaism that there is one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, as Deuteronomy puts it. There is one creator and one source of all things in the heavens and the earth. And yet, throughout the seasons, we've borne witness. As Peter looked at Jesus and the light came on and he said, You're the Messiah. And then later, we looked, watched as Thomas, a look of shock on his face, greeted the risen Christ, seeing the wounds, and said, My Lord and my God. What's more, we listen to the teachings of Jesus about the coming of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Guide. And we've told that strange story last week about the winds of God being breathed into the disciples on that Pentecost morning, forming them into the sort of people Jesus knew they could be all along, bold, full of life, radically open to this new thing that God was doing. So one God, yes, absolutely, but revealed and presented in these different ways in the person of Jesus and in the presence of the Spirit. How to hold that all together? Well, that's Trinity Sunday. 
Now, some of you will recall the past Trinity Sundays when I've occasionally arranged to have a juggler come and help me preach, offering an admittedly unusual and unlikely icon of this idea of the Trinity. You watch as the juggler sets the three balls into motion. There are three, certainly, but it's the steady movement of the three in one that you actually see. It's dynamic. It's a dance, an interweaving, and it only works when it's in motion. If you try to freeze the juggler midair, or if the juggler tries to hold on to one of the balls too long, it all falls apart. Well, thinking and preaching about the Trinity is a bit like that. There's a point where trying to pin it down with overly precise language, with rational categories, is like trying to freeze the juggler's craft midair. The dynamic movement is the thing, both for juggling and for attempting to speak of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, together as one, creating, redeeming, sustaining the whole of creation in an ongoing dance. That's our proclamation and confession on Trinity Sunday. Yet for all of the playfulness of the images of the juggler or the dance, there remains still the raw holiness of the divine. In Isaiah's strange vision, the text that we read as the first lesson tonight, his strange vision of seeing and feeling and even smelling the holiness of God, the temple filled with smoke, the text says, and then of hearing the angelic song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. In that experience, that vision, Isaiah finds himself absolutely devastated. Woe to me, he cries, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's no future for me in this place. I'm dead. The holiness will kill me. No sooner has he said that than one of the seraphs, angels, flew over to Isaiah, touched his mouth, his lips with a hot coal, and said to him, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Just like that. No guilt, no remnant of sin, no more talk of unworthiness. And so now when Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? Without hesitation, this prophet finds himself answering, Here am I, send me. His guilt and sin and worry and anxiety and fear all gone, and he can get up and move. I wonder, I wonder, did the eyes of that seraph sparkle with delight and maybe a little bit of laughter at the audacity of that forgiveness and grace. And if in his vision Isaiah had been able to see more of God than just the hem of the Lord's robe that filled the temple, would he have seen laughter in God's eyes as well? 
I wouldn't be at all surprised. For the mercy and forgiveness of this gracious God are the grandest jokes of all, told to us at the very moment we admit that we are sunk. I am a man of unclean lips. Get up off the ground, back on your feet. You're not on your own in this. There is this audacity of grace. Which brings me to offer a few words about these baptisms we are about to celebrate. The words with which the baptismal liturgy begins are very strong ones indeed. They are taken more or less directly from the practice of the ancient church, the church of the third and fourth centuries. I will begin by asking the candidates to make a threefold renunciation of Satan, of evil, and of sin, of all that distorts us, in other words, all that keeps us from being what we were created to be. I renounce them, I renounce them, I renounce them. I will then ask them to make a threefold affirmation, an affirmation of Jesus Christ as their gracious and loving Savior and Lord. Now that's hardly a laughing matter. As the liturgy progresses, together we will say, all of us, we will say the Apostles' Creed, which is the fourth-century proclamation of the basic Trinitarian and baptismal beliefs of the Church, which is then followed by a set of five other commitments or promises. One of those always makes me smile. I'll ask Will you persevere in resisting evil and, whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? To which the community will answer, I will, with God's help. Notice the wording. It's what makes me smile. It's not if you sin, if some terrible worst-case scenario happens and, and you sin. It's whenever you sin. This comes well after the threefold renunciations and affirmations, yet the question speaks altogether realistically in terms of whenever, because it's going to happen. It's going to happen, so don't kid yourself. But with God's help, get back up on your feet, dust yourself off, Turn around and, like the prodigal son of the parable, put yourself back on the road home. Because in a life that is absolutely full of whenevers, there is a prodigally gracious God always at the ready to set a feast to mark our return. One of the candidates tonight, Matthew, is speaking these words on his own volition, of his own volition as an adult. Matthew's got enough life under his belt to know all about whenevers. And he's decided that it's time to publicly anchor himself as a member of the body of Christ. Matthew, you know some of the folks here, and you will get to know others as your path unfolds before you. Know that we are with you 
that there is and always will be a place here for you in all of the complexities and all of the whenevers of your life. You're welcome here. There's another piece of hilarity in these baptisms, one not about simply the audacity of grace, but one that ramps that up. Now, Matthew will be saying these words for himself, yet the other two candidates, Jack and Benjamin, they can't speak any words yet at all. They're babies. In their cases, it will be parents and godparents who will speak the words on their behalf, while the grandparents and other friends will stand proudly around in loving and supportive solidarity. The day will come when Jack and Benjamin will both need to make some decisions on their own, just as Matthew is tonight. But in the meantime, their lives are being located in a very particular way. Sacramentally, these two little boys are being located as members of the body of Christ, not junior members, not honorary members, but in the strange economy that is the people of God, members with as much place and as much claim as any one of us. Now, Benjamin, a word for you. You don't know this yet, but your grandfather happens to be a bishop. Actually, your grandfather is your bishop, and he's here. But don't let him pull rank on you, Benjamin, because the greatest joke of all is that in the eyes of Jesus, things like rank and position and hierarchy have been tipped on their heads. In fact, in the eyes of Jesus, your grandpa has a thing or two to learn from you. Same goes for you, Jack. Your young life will be a sort of a parable to your mom and to your grandparents because they too have to contend with the Jesus who said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child, like Jack, like Benjamin, tonight as helpless as can be, whoever becomes humble like that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They are a gift, in other words, to their parents and grandparents and godparents, in fact, to their whole community, because they remind us of that core teaching of Jesus, let go and trust and be vulnerable as a baby in the arms of Christ. Just a heads up to both of you, Jack and Benjamin as well. Looking at you now, so tiny and so vulnerable, it's hard to imagine the whenevers of sin that you'll someday confront. But make no mistake, they will come. As is true for Matthew, I trust that you will come to know that we are with you and that there is and always will be a place here for you in all of the complexities the whenevers, but also the joys and the gifts of this life. 
In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.